God's purpose toward you is always love. Everything that God does, everything that he's about, every action, every orientation toward you is always love and compassion and a desire to heal and restore you. Everything that God is about is for this. It's for you. Nothing can stand in the way of this. Nothing can separate you from the love of God and Jesus Christ, our Lord, no matter how hard we try. This is the whole story of Christianity in a sentence. Everything that we're about, everything that God has revealed to us in Jesus Christ and through his word is about his love for you. And as we look in this series, we're talking about the miracles of Jesus and what they reveal. This is the last of our summer series and our two-part summer series. Uh, But we've been looking at all these miracles, these uh, Sunday school stories that really actually go far deeper than the Sunday school message and reveal to us God's heart and his purposes in this world, which are love. We see here in our passage today, Luke 13, I encourage you to open your Bibles to it, a passage that reveals how God's love, how his mercy and desire for you is manifested in giving us the Sabbath day. So we want to talk about God's heart and purpose. We want to talk about this particular law that he's given for us in his love about keeping the Sabbath day holy. And as we look at this passage, I find it a helpful principle of of reading and studying scripture to try to put ourselves in the place of these characters in the story. Um, We don't put ourselves in the place of Jesus because generally that's not a good idea. Don't do that. Uh, we look to Jesus as an example. We look to his, obey his teachings. We try to emulate him as he relates to others. But we are not Jesus. We are not the Savior. We are not the hero of the story. We are the ones who are being rescued. We are the ones who are being saved. And so uh, there are two distinct characters I want us to look at here today. and Try to put ourselves in their place. We have this disabled woman and the synagogue ruler. And then we want to try to put ourselves in their shoes to imagine what their situation is like, why they react as they do, and what Jesus might have to teach us through them. So first, let's look together at this woman with a disabling spirit. Um, She comes to the synagogue. It's probably her, her weekly practice, a devout Jewish woman. And she has this disability where she's bent over. She's unable to fully straighten herself out. And We're not told how old she is, but that she's had this for 18 years. So we can probably assume this has been most of her life she's had this uh, debilitating condition. And Jesus points out, verse 16, that something in her disability was satanic. That it was Satan who had bound her. And Jesus loosed these bonds and freed her both from this demonic influence and the physical ailment that accompanied it. Not every physical ailment is going to be demonic. Not every demonic activity is going to have physical ailments. But here we have both in the same that Jesus frees her from. So think about this woman and think about her condition. Try to, try to picture yourself in her place, hunched over, unable to, to look up, unable to straighten herself. Think about the shame that must have come with that. The strange looks children laughing and pointing at you. Think about how you're unable to look at someone in the eye 
or receive a hug. Think about the isolation that something that debilitating must have brought. She comes to the synagogue, and there's, there's no indication that she believed in Jesus at all. She, uh, there's no profession of faith. This healing is a pure act of grace. Jesus initiated it. It was unasked for. And what does he do? He invites her to come to him. He pronounces this word of freedom over her. He says, woman, you are freed from your disability. And then he touches her, lays his hands on her, and immediately she is made straight. So there's an invitation, there's a pronouncement, and there's a touch. So as we put ourselves in in her place, so we try to envision this kind of encounter with Jesus that he might have for us, we want to ask the question, how does God want to restore us? Maybe you haven't had a debilitating circumstance like this woman. Maybe you haven't lived in the same kind of shame or isolation that she has. But according to the testimony of Scripture, all of us are this woman. We are the ones who, because of the fall, we are in some ways bound by Satan, bound by the weaknesses of our own flesh. We are curved in on ourselves, unable to stand up straight spiritually. The reformer Martin Luther, in his commentary on Romans, he actually talks about the sinful state of humanity as humanity curved in on itself. Homo incurvatus in se is the Latin he used, which I think is a cool phrase. But humanity curved in on ourselves that we who are stained by the fall, we're, we're naturally oriented inwardly, seeking to love and serve ourselves rather than the God who made us. If we're curved in ourselves, we're the center of our universe. We are all that we can see that that matters. And so everything is used to serve our own ends. We we use people, we use God, we use life circumstances to try to serve ourselves. The modern term of navel-gazing, I think, captures this pretty well. You know someone who's so focused in on themselves on their own issues, on their own situation, their own problems, often at the expense of others. And we see that they are curved inwardly on themselves. This is sin. This is the effects of sin, to make us self-centered people. In in C.S. Lewis's vastly underrated space trilogy books, the hero, Ransom, goes to an unfallen planet, one that is untainted by sin. And he enters into a battle to preserve its goodness. And the, the alien creatures who are there refer to those who are fallen, who are tainted by sin, as bent. He talks about those who have, have fallen and are corrupted by sin as bent ones. Implying that what was meant to be straight has become crooked has become disordered, has become corrupted and bent. Sin makes crooked what God designed to be straight. Sin causes us to be spiritually hunched over, bent into ourselves, navel gazers who can't lift ourselves up. This self-centeredness that's inherent to our fallen state, this disability of the spirit, our, our sin sickness, leaves us unable to straighten ourselves out on our own strength. 
all of us, regardless of how physically able you are, regardless of how emotionally stable you are, we all have this kind of disability of spirit, this sin sickness that has us curved in on ourselves, bound by the work of Satan, bound by our own fallen flesh. And we cannot heal ourselves. To those of us who are bent, Jesus invites you to come to him. He calls to you and invites you to come. He speaks a word of freedom over you. And when Jesus speaks a word of freedom over you, it is truth. This is the one who spoke all of creation into being. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He spoke all that is into being. His words create reality. So when he says, you are free, that is true. Even if you don't feel it, even if you're not experiencing it, when Jesus speaks it, it is true. Do you believe that? John 8.36, Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. His word is truth. You are free when he speaks that over you. And he touches you with his hands of love and compassion and power. And that miraculous touch brings about healing Restoring us to life, straightening out what God, uh, what has been made crooked and what God intended to be straight. In Jesus, we begin to be able to see more than our own navel. We begin to be able to look out at what's beyond us and what's outside of us, to see reality more clearly, to move away from self-centeredness to look more to the concerns of others. We can begin to life that's live a life that's less self-centered and more. God and others centered. This is healing and this is restoration, making straight what has been crooked and bent. And this is for us. We are the bent over woman. But we also want to put ourselves in the place of this synagogue ruler, this man who, who witnesses a miracle right in front of his eyes, this miraculous healing. And instead of awe and wonder and rejoicing at this, he is indignant because the Jewish conventions of Sabbath are being flagrantly disregarded here. His complaint is not that the woman was healed, but that she was healed on the wrong day. There are six days in which work ought to be done, he says. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. You see what he's doing here? He's holding so tightly to these man-made conventions and these regulations around Sabbath that he cannot see the glory of God that's being revealed to him in that moment. So through this synagogue ruler, we want to ask the question, what's the Sabbath really about? Because Jesus clearly has different ideas about what Sabbath is for than this man. And he's in this tradition, this later Jewish tradition that had added many more commandments and regulations and prohibitions around the Sabbath day than we read in Exodus 23, the simple six days you shall work and one day you shall rest. But there were so many uh, long lists of prohibited activities, work that you couldn't do, and very short lists of exceptions. And 
for the Pharisees, for the synagogue rulers, this class of, of Jewish leaders, this was the way to earn favor with God. This was the way to work out your salvation. To be a good Jew, proper Sabbath keeping is essential. And so Jesus comes along and disrupts this and disregards it pretty uh, obviously and flagrantly. He's saying crazy things like, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And he's healing people on this day where no work is to be done. And for the Jewish leaders, this is akin to blasphemy. He's saying that God's law is trash. It doesn't matter. And Jesus is calling out the hypocrisy of this uh, framework around the Sabbath. He uses this argumentation of the common Jewish rhetorical device of less to more argument. He, he points out how you take care of animals. How much more should you take care of this woman? We see Jesus use this argument in the Sermon on the Mount as well. When he says, if God cares for the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, how much more does he care for you? He says here, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And this was one of the few exceptions in the Jewish law and regulations. Uh, These animals had basic needs for food and water, even on the Sabbath day. You couldn't just not feed your animals or not lead them to water because you weren't supposed to work. It's this basic act of care, recognizing that these creatures needed this. Jesus says then, ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Just as you loose the donkey or the ox, this woman needs to be loosed from her bonds. Does not God care for her so much more than the animals, he's saying? Should not we care for her basic needs so much more than these animals? The, The leaders are baffled by this. They can't answer him. They're put to shame. And what Jesus is doing in this moment, with this healing he's teaching, as he often does with his miracles, he's teaching, and he's pointing out that the basic purpose of Sabbath is about caring for the well-being of God's creation. Sabbath is about caring for the well-being of God's creation. And so Jesus, what he's doing here, he's not breaking the Sabbath, but he's fulfilling it. He's showing, here's what it's all really about. The reveal is that Sabbath is not intended to be a burden that restricts us, but rather a means of restoring us. Sabbath is for our restoration. Sabbath is for our care and for our healing and refreshment. It's something that teaches us to rely on the Lord as we cease from our work. And this is why Sabbath is a command for us. It's on that list of Ten Commandments, right up there with thou shalt not kill. It's a command because it forces us to trust in the Lord. And I think the Lord knew that we needed to be commanded to do this. Because we're awful at it by human nature. Our human nature knows there's always work to be done. There's always more to accomplish or take care of or move forward. We put all of the value of our identity in our work and what we produce 
We are what we produce, and our value is rooted in our productivity and our effectiveness. We say, oh, what do you do when we try to meet someone and get to know them? What's your real value based on your profession? To rest, to cease from our work, is to remember that my identity is not in what I produce, but in who I am in God. That I am beloved, that I am called his child, and that is enough for me. That's enough for me to rest my whole identity on. To cease our work and to rest is a way of then entrusting that work to the Lord. He's God, I'm not. He's still at work, so I can rest. And as we rest, as we cease from our work, we find ourselves restored, refreshed, and ready to get back to work the next day. So this Sabbath day is to be set apart and holy, but what is more, the, the weekly patterns of rest and restoration are, are pointing us forward to the eternal rest and ultimate restoration we will have in Christ. This ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction and rest that all of us so desperately need when sin and death and the burdens of this weary world will be no more. A Sabbath is a literal 24-hour rest that points forward to an eternal rest. And a 24-hour period where you don't do any work is important. And God gave it to us as a command for our good because he loves us. But those 24 hours, important as they are, are not the main point. The main point is to point us forward when we will find our ultimate rest and restoration in Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you, Christians, to take your Sabbath. It is a commandment. It is still binding for us. If you're doing good on the thou shalt not murder part of the Ten Commandments, but you're not keeping Sabbath, you're not keeping the Ten Commandments. And as you keep Sabbath, remember and anticipate what it's pointing you toward. The eternal rest that we have in Jesus. And as we put aside our work, we pray for the ability to grow in trust that God has all things in his hands. And that he is going to renew and restore all things. We remember our identity in him as beloved children of God. The Sabbath is about restoration. And so we Christians don't have strict regulations on how to keep Sabbath, what you can do and what you can't. But the main principle is simply to rest and to allow God to restore you. Do what is refreshing. Don't do what is draining. Trust in God to teach you the difference. And let us not, like the synagogue ruler, be so committed to our conventions and rules, and patterns, and ways of doing things that we actually miss out on what God is doing among us. Let us not, through our own man-made ideas and regulations, no matter how good they might be, get in the way of the work of God. As we look at this man, the synagogue ruler, see how bent he is. See how narrowly focused in on himself and his commitments to these conventions. So much so that he's unable to see the bigger picture of what God is doing. God's desire is to restore us. 
His purposes toward us are always love and healing and salvation unto eternity. So through these two people, the disabled woman, the synagogue ruler, we see the same reveal. That Jesus wants to restore you. Jesus calls to you, invites you to him, and pronounces that authoritative and effective word of freedom over you. He touches you and restores you, making straight what has been crooked. And at times, he in his mercy will bring about the physical healing that we ask for. Other times he will bring about emotional or or mental healing. Other times in his sovereignty that we don't understand, he doesn't bring healing. But the promise of the cross of Christ is that we are healed from the sin sickness that disables us, that has us curved in on ourselves. The healing work of Christ on the cross for you, if we receive it and accept it and and let it work on us, that healing work on the cross has the effect of straightening us out, of making straight what has been crooked, of seeing clearly what is in front of us and leading us to worship. In all these things, the work of the cross of Christ is to bring us into the rest of God. It is to restore us. And this is what Sabbath is for. And it reveals to us Jesus' heart and his purpose toward us, to restore us in his love. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you uh, that as hard as we might try to put up barriers between you and your work uh, for us, that your glory still shines through. That your love and your, your grace is often unasked for because you and your mercy take the initiative to come to us and to pronounce freedom over us and to touch us and bring us healing. So I pray that we might know the healing restoration of the cross for ourselves today. Even as we come to the table and receive uh, these gifts of communion, may we know that your body broken for us, your blood shed for us, has been to make us whole and to straighten us out. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.